Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 19. So we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Hear the word of the Lord. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, 
Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This morning's sermon was written by Reverend R. Eicherboom, and the text he chose for the sermon is Psalm 50. We'll read that together. Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God.
And after the sermon, we'll sing Psalm 50, the verses 7 and 11. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, here we are, the first Sunday and the first worship service of 2024. Here we are, as you would expect. For the last 30 seconds or so, most of us have followed our own personal routine. Some of us took a lolly out of our pockets or our handbags and we put it in our mouth. Some of us took our psalm books and looked up Psalm 50 for singing after the sermon. Some of us take out a biro and a notebook, or perhaps we write some notes on our liturgy sheet. And, unfortunately, it's probable that some of us also went too late to bed last night. Or perhaps some of us are not really that interested in hearing the Word of God. And so, in the last 60 seconds or so, some of us also made ourselves comfortable so that we can either dream pleasantly for the next 30 minutes or otherwise catch up on sleep. On the other occasion, we might break our habit and do something that's quite out of character, but in general, we are creatures of habit. We all know what to expect of a sermon, we all have an idea of what we can get out of a sermon, and so we all find our own way to get through those 30 minutes every Sunday morning and every Sunday afternoon. A few years of practice, and we've got it down to a fine art. So coming to church is a habit. Now, the fact that coming to church is a habit is not necessarily a bad thing, brothers and sisters. Good habits are never bad. But the problem is that when something becomes a habit, it easily becomes a drag. When our mums do the cooking and the washing regularly, we take that for granted. When ministers prepare sermons on a weekly basis... We take that for granted too. And this is not surprising. It's certainly not new. Instead, the prophet Asaph already had to deal with this same problem more than 2,000 years ago. The people of Israel were so used to coming to the temple and hearing the word of God was so normal for them that it all became rather boring. And so before Asaph speaks the word of God in Psalm 50, Asaph first stops and thinks. Asaph first says to himself, what can I do to make these people sit up, to shake them awake so that the word of God really penetrates into their hearts? I preach to you this morning the word of God under this theme. Asaph warns the people of God that we cannot afford to be casual in our relationship with him. And Asaph makes this point in three ways. He says, Do not be casual in your worship, verses 1 to 6. He says, do not be casual about God's gift of grace, verses 7 to 15. And he says, do not be casual in your lifestyle, verses 16 to 23. So do not be casual in your worship. In verse 5, God says, gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And verse 7 adds, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. Obviously, God is busy with his covenant people, his church community, the Israelites. 
They are coming together in Jerusalem. And we don't know what the occasion is. It could be the Passover, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Tabernacles. But God has commanded Asaph to take the opportunity to speak to all Israel. Of course, when God speaks to the Israelites, this is not a private conversation. Instead, in verse 1, the Lord summons the whole earth. And in verse 4, he summons the heavens as well. All creation must hear what God will speak. Why? Well, when we have a normal conversation, we don't need witnesses. But when we make up a legal document, like a will, for example, or when it concerns baptism, where God promises salvation to us, or when it concerns profession of faith, or marriage, where we make commitments to each other or to God, then we do need witnesses. Whenever legal questions are addressed, we need witnesses. And that means, in Psalm 50, God wants to have an official discussion with his covenant people. And whatever God will say to his people today is legally binding. You better listen carefully. You better understand it well. And you better do it. For if you disobey God's commands, there can be no excuse. The heavens and the earth will testify against you. They will declare what God said to you, and they will declare that you heard it as well. So if you ignore this word of God, you will be asking for trouble. Now with all these warnings and with all this drama, we would imagine that Asaph must have something very important and very profound to say. But that's not the case. When we read Psalm 50, there really is nothing new. Everything in this psalm has already been said many times before. For Asaph, the most important issue is not what he has to say. Instead, Asaph highlights who is speaking. Asaph says in verse 1 that it is the mighty one. It is God, the Lord, who speaks. And in verse 7, he says again, I am God. I am your God. And this is the first and the most important reason why we ought to sit up straight in church and listen, brothers and sisters. Not because the sermon is entertaining, not even because the sermon contains new information, but because it is the word of God. Now, I can say it very kindly, very warmly and very lovingly. I can remind you that your Lord and Saviour, who went to the cross to pay for your sins, your Lord and Saviour, who died to give you eternal life, he called you to come to church this morning. And I can go on to say, warmly, kindly and lovingly, that your Lord and Saviour wants to strengthen your faith through the preaching, and therefore you should listen to the sermon. In other words, I can make a polite suggestion that listening to the preaching is a nice idea, but Psalm 50 says it in a much sharper way. Psalm 50 reminds you that it is the Mighty One, God, the Lord, who calls you to come to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday afternoon. And if you don't think that coming to church is important, if you easily make excuses to stay home, to satisfy the elders is the easy part. To convince yourself might be a bit more tricky, but you will never fool the Lord. He is coming in judgment, says verse 3. He knows what lives in your heart. He knows exactly how important it is to you to be in church when he summons you, 
and to listen to his word when he speaks to you. He knows exactly how much respect you have for him. The Israelites in the days of Asaph knew their Bibles inside out. They heard the word of God on a regular basis. For them, it was also a custom. For them, too, it became a bit of a drag. And so Asaph takes out his Bible. Asaph goes to Exodus 19, to the story of God coming down to Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments. And there Asaph reads in Exodus 19, verse 16 to 18, There was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from the mountain like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. You hear that, says Asaph? When God actually came down from the mountain to speak to the Israelites, it was a scary business. When God spoke, that was earth-shattering, and the Israelites were impressed. They were overwhelmed and whenever God speaks to you whenever you hear his word you should be just as impressed you should also tremble just like those Israelites did at Mount Sinai because it was not the message that terrified them instead it was the presence of almighty God it was the voice of almighty God And when the congregation of Jesus Christ comes together in Mandajong in 2024, we should tremble. We should be just as impressed as those Israelites who stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai. The issue is not what the sermon says or how the sermon says it. The issue is that it is the mighty one, God the Lord, who speaks to you. Let nobody sleep when he speaks. Let nobody dream while his word is being explained. Because it's not the preacher that you offend. It's not the Bible that you offend. Instead, it's the mighty one. It is the creator of heaven and earth. He is offended if you don't take him very seriously. He speaks to you. So listen carefully. Listen with great respect. You see how Asaph tries to make our worship services real and meaningful. You see how Asaph tries to lift us up out of the drudgery of coming to church and the routine of listening to sermons. Asaph tries to focus our attention on the God of Mount Sinai. And Asaph says, coming to church to worship the Lord, it is an awesome occasion because the Lord whom we worship is an awesome God. And I don't know how you prepare for other special occasions, brothers and sisters, but God sure did tell the Israelites how they ought to prepare to meet him. Their preparation had to last two whole days. They had to wash themselves, and they had to abstain from sexual relations, not because sex is something dirty, but God is holy. And therefore, the Israelites could not just rock up to their meeting with God. Instead, they had to put everything else out of their minds. They had to focus on this special occasion. Of course, that means something about our Saturdays, about our Saturday evenings, 
and especially about Saturday bedtime. If we want to meet Holy God in church on Sunday, we also need to be suitably prepared for the occasion. And surely, being suitably prepared for the occasion includes being suitably dressed for the occasion. Of course, I don't say, brothers and sisters, I don't say that men have to wear jackets or ties, and I don't say that ladies have to wear dresses or skirts. I don't say anything like that. But the point of Psalm 50 is that worship is special because God is special. And if we dress up suitably for going to church, we give God a compliment. We give God honour because we dress up to meet him. When you are involved with a wedding, when you go to your own graduation, then you dress up. Of course, dressing up is only on the outside. But the outside does show what lives on the inside. And this is not my opinion. Instead, Exodus 19 says that what lives inside must show on the outside. And God told the Israelites how. And therefore, I put it to you, what you wear on Sunday says something about you. More accurately, what you wear on Sunday says something about the God that you worship. What you wear on Sunday says exactly what you think of God. And then we should understand our society is more relaxed and more casual than it has ever been. And so it is no wonder that many churches are also becoming more relaxed and more casual in their worship. It all becomes very human and very comfortable. And we treat God the way that it feels best for us. But that is not good enough for the God of Asaph. It is not good enough for the God of Psalm 50. Instead, Asaph reminds us that when God came down to Mount Sinai, there was thunder and there was lightning and all the Israelites trembled. Asaph reminds us that when God spoke to the Israelites, that was impressive. That was overwhelming. That was earth-shattering. And the point is, when Asaph speaks the word of God in our text, or when the word of God is preached in the free reformed church of Mundajong, we should be impressed. We should sit up and listen carefully. For when we hear the word of God being preached in church, it is the mighty one. It is God, the Lord, who speaks to us. So listen to him very carefully and take him very seriously. If you don't, says verse 3, you can expect trouble, serious trouble. And so now in our second point, we'll listen to Asaph's message about God's gift of grace. <clears throat> Do not be casual about God's gift of grace. In the verses 7 through 15, Asaph makes a rather lengthy speech about sacrifice. He says, God does not need sacrifices. Everything belongs to God. And God does not eat anything. God does not need anything, certainly not the meat or the blood of animals. God does not need anything, and certainly not our sacrifices. And we cannot say this often enough, brothers and sisters. Whatever we do in the service of God, whatever we give to God, God does not need any of it. And just in case you missed the point, the church does not rely on your financial contribution and the school does not depend on your membership payments either. Instead, 
God provides everything and God always has plenty. So God does not need what you have or what I have. Of course, if God does not need sacrifices, and that is what Psalm 50 says, God does not want sacrifices, then why did God command sacrificing in the first place? Why did God first say in the law, yes, I want sacrifices? And why does Psalm 50 now say, no sacrifices, thank you very much? Well, sacrifices were never designed for God's benefit. Instead, sacrifices were always designed to help the Israelites. For whenever the Israelites slaughter a bull or a goat or a lamb and burn the animal on the altar, every sacrifice is a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Sacrifices are not to feed God or to satisfy the wrath of God, Instead, sacrifices are teaching tools. God uses sacrifices to teach the Israelites the gospel of salvation through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Golgotha. But these Israelites are so foolish. They obey God's command. They make sacrifices. And then they imagine that they are doing God a favour. They make sacrifices and then they imagine that they are doing something for God. And so they imagine that God owes them something in return. And that's why Asaph makes it perfectly clear. If you want to give something to God, if you want to feel that you are doing something worthwhile for God, forget it. Because salvation is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of grace. And you cannot do anything for God. You cannot give anything to God, all that you can do is say, thank you. And for this reason, says verse 14, sacrifice thank offerings to the Lord. No sin offerings, no guilt offerings, but only thank offerings. For when you sin and you offer a sin offering or a guilt offering, you might think that you are paying for your sin. It might seem as if you are paying God back. But God says, no, I don't need anything from you and you can't help me in any way. So if you sin against me, you can't make up for it. You can't pay for it. What God does want you to do is open your eyes, count his blessings and thank him from the bottom of your heart. This is the heart of the gospel, brothers and sisters. This is the Christian faith. God gives, and God gives more, and God gives even more. And what God basically commands us to do is hold out our hand and receive what God gives and simply say, thank you. Nothing else we can do and nothing else we should try to do. Just live by grace and say, thank you, God. Verse 14 adds that we should also fulfil our vows to the Most High. But fulfilling our vows is really sacrificing more thank offerings. For if I make a vow, if I pray, Lord, please give me this and then I will do that. If God hears my prayer and gives me what I ask for, then I keep my vow. And so I confess that I owe God. 
I keep my vow, and so I confess that it was God who gave it to me and nobody else. The life of a Christian is a life of thankfulness, a life of humble dependence, where God gives and we can only say thank you and thank you again and thank you even more for your wonderful gifts. Now you might say that being thankful is quite easy. We have so much good in life, so much to enjoy, life and health, good food and good company, peace and freedom. We have so much good to enjoy that we are thankful, and that's wonderful. But that does not make you a Christian, and that does not put you on the road to eternal life either. You may remember the story of the kid who got an expensive birthday present, but he put the present aside and he played with the box and the wrapping paper instead. In the case of a kid, this is not really an issue, but this is not the way to show thankfulness. And in the same way, if we enjoy life, if we enjoy many of the good things which God gives, us, gives to us in this life, we are enjoying the wrapping paper. But the real present, the expensive gift which we should treasure and be thankful for, that is the gift of eternal life. And Asaph says in our text, there are many religious things we can do. We can serve the Lord faithfully. We can be busy with his kingdom continually. But God wants us to understand that we live by grace. And so God wants us to be thankful to him for the wonderful gift of his son, for the wonderful gift of eternal life. That is our second point. And the third point we'll now see briefly that Asaph also warns us against being casual in our lifestyle. In the third section of Psalm 50, Asaph addresses the wicked Israelites. He accuses them of being friendly with thieves and adulterers. He accuses them of gossiping and slandering against their neighbours. And while they do all these horrible things, says Asaph in verse 16, they still speak piously. They recite God's laws. They talk about God's covenant. They know their doctrines. They are never stuck for words. But their lifestyle does not match their words. And then our text suggests two things, brothers and sisters. In our second point, we saw that with respect to sacrifices, the Lord had no complaints at all. As far as religious rituals were concerned, the Israelites went through all the motions. And then we think automatically of the Pharisees who lived in the days of Jesus. They also went through all the correct motions. But in the meantime, they plotted and they schemed to murder Jesus. They went through all the motions, and so they were convinced that they were right with God. But in the meantime, they were living in sin. They were religious and pious, but they disobeyed the voice of the Lord. Just like we might be in church every Sunday, even if we live totally godless lives. Let us be careful that we do not fall into this same trap, brothers and sisters. To do religion is one thing, but to know Jesus Christ and to live a Christian life, that is something quite different altogether. Secondly, Asaph says in verse 21, You thought I was altogether like you. Those Israelites thought that God was like them, meaning 
Those Israelites did a lot of things which God has commanded. They came to the temple faithfully. They offered sin offerings, guilt offerings and burnt offerings, just like the Lord commanded. But when they had to make difficult choices, when God said, do this, but the Israelites wanted to do something else, they reasoned like this. They said, surely God would not condemn me for doing this. Surely God knows that I am a Christian and God does not expect me to be perfect. Surely God will forgive me if I do it just once. Asaph says in verse 21 that the Israelites imagine that God is like them. They serve the Lord most of the time and they go off the rails only occasionally. They figure that should be good enough and they think that God is like them. They imagine that God would probably think along those same lines. And make no mistake, beloved congregation, it's not the job of consistory to decide what you can and cannot get away with. It's not the job of the elders to decide when God will forgive and when God will not forgive. Thank God, that's one job we don't have to do. But one modern commentary on Psalm 50 says, There is a type of evangelical theology today that refuses to face the fact that people who live in sin are not Christians. That theology, this commentary says, that theology encourages people who do not live like Christians to believe that they still belong to God even while they willfully disobey him. So according to this commentary, there are Christian churches today that teach that you can be a Christian, you can be on the road to heaven, even when your lifestyle is not Christian. Then let me make just one point. Let nobody say that this is taught in the free reformed churches. Let nobody say that the free reformed church teaches that as long as you believe in your heart or as long as you go through the motions and keep the elders off your back, that you'll be okay. Let nobody say that the free reformed church teaches that you can belong to this world and join in with the lifestyle of this world and still go to heaven. If you imagine that you learned this in a fruit-reformed church, read verse 22 and tremble. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with none to rescue. If your fun comes from worldly entertainment or from a godless lifestyle, then you don't know God. And then God will tear you to pieces like a wild lion. God will destroy you forever. And the point is that God wants to be taken seriously. On Sunday afternoons, on Monday evenings, and on Friday afternoons, God wants us to take him seriously. If we dare to call ourselves Christians, if we dare to talk about the Reformed faith or about the teaching of Scripture, we must take him seriously. And we must take his every word seriously. Because Psalm 50 confirms that God is not as casual as we would like him to be. And this brings us back to the beginning of our sermon, brothers and sisters. Asaph understands that when we do something often enough, it becomes a routine. Going to church, meeting with God, that also becomes a routine. But in our text, Asaph tries to shake us awake. 
He reminds us that the one we are meeting this morning is the Mighty One, God the Lord. When he came down to his people on Mount Sinai, the mountain shook and the smoke billowed and the people trembled with fear. This same God speaks to you this morning, says Asaph. So don't sleep in church. Don't get comfortable and let your mind wander. Instead, listen when he speaks. And then in our second point, we were instructed that God does not need our sacrifices. God does not need us to do things for him or give things to him. Instead, he gives us everything out of grace. And we can only respond by saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice you made when you sent your son to the cross to pay for our sins. God's love for us, especially in his son, Jesus Christ, that should be the focus of our existence. And in our third point, we saw that God takes sin and disobedience very seriously. So let nobody say that the Free Reformed Church is casual about sin. Let nobody think that as long as we go to church, as long as we go through the motions, everything will be okay. Instead, Psalm 50 says, live what you believe. And if you are not prepared to live your life in obedience to God's commandments, you have no right to talk about the Reformed faith or about God's commands because God hates every kind of hypocrisy. And so, in this year of our Lord, 2024, may God work in us powerfully by his Holy Spirit so that more and more we may believe the gospel, so that more and more we may thank the Lord and praise him for his goodness and his care, and so that more and more we don't treat him casually because it really is serious business. Amen.